Welcome to the Peace Podcast. I'm John Deere. I'd like to reflect with you on the nonviolence of our teacher and prophet, Martin Luther King Jr. But first, let me add my thanks again for taking the time to listen to our Pache Bene Peace Podcast. Uh, if you like it, I ask you to let your friends know about it and help promote it on Facebook and elsewhere. You can get it on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at pachebene.org. By the way, we're set to host an amazing national conference in August 2020 on nonviolence in New Mexico to mark the 75th anniversary of Hiroshima and Nagasaki with speakers like Martin Sheen, Dolores Huerta, Father Richard Rohr, and Dr. Erica Chenoweth. Check out our website and register at www.campaignnonviolence.org. I hope to see you all there. One of my favorite stories of Dr. King comes a few months before he was killed when a childhood friend of his, who was now a police officer in Atlanta, stopped by Dr. King's house on a Tuesday afternoon to say hello. Dr. King had recently come out against the Vietnam War, and like everyone else in the country, his friend was really upset that Dr. King was speaking out against the war. How could you do this, Martin, he asked. You're wrecking everything. You're going to wreck the civil rights movement. And Dr. King said to his friend, when I speak of nonviolence, I mean nonviolent all the way. Never could I advocate nonviolence in this country and not advocate nonviolence for the whole world, Dr. King said, according to David Garrow's great biography, Bearing the Cross. That's my philosophy, Dr. King said. I don't believe in death or killing on any side, no matter who's heading it up, whether it be America or any other country. Nonviolence is my stand, and I'll die for that stand. His friend had known Martin since they were five, and that was the first time he understood Martin Luther King Jr. Nonviolence is my stand, and I'll die for that stand. That's the real Martin Luther King Jr. And that's what I want to reflect with you about. That's the stand I submit we're all called to take too. During the King holiday, we always remember him, but rarely do you ever hear about his nonviolence. I think if we don't understand his commitment to total nonviolence, then we're no different than his clueless friend. I've been talking and writing about Dr. King for 50 years, literally. It was April 5th, 1968, 6 a.m. on a Friday morning. My mother came into my room, shook me awake and said, John, Martin Luther King has been killed. You have to get up now. I was eight years old. She had never done that before. My brother David slept in the other bed. That whole weekend, I watched the news reports about his life and work and campaigns to abolish racism, poverty, and war. And then my father announced that we were all getting in the car and driving from our home in Bethesda, Maryland, into Washington, D.C., to see with our own eyes the fires and riots and police repression and the National Guard surrounding the U.S. Capitol. I want you to remember this for the rest of your life, he said, and so I have. The death of Martin Luther King Jr. and then two months later, Robert Kennedy's, changed my life as it did millions. I started then and there to read everything I could about their lives and deaths. Later, I met their families and friends who became my friends. 
10 years later at Duke University, I majored in African-American history, and I studied slavery, racism, and Dr. King's movement. Then in 1982, when I entered the Jesuits, I was on fire with Dr. King's mission as a way to serve and follow Jesus, eager to do what I could for justice and peace. Here's a little story. In 1984, I read a little notice that Coretta Scott King was going to speak in a small Baptist church in southeast Washington, D.C. So I made a real effort to go and be there, and I was shocked to find only a handful of people had come out to hear her. She spoke really beautifully about agape, universal nonviolent love, as our common calling. And after her talk was over, she sat in a chair right in front of the altar, and people lined up and walked up to the altar and got to shake her hand. And I was the last one online. So finally it came my turn, and I sheepishly introduced myself, and by then everyone else had left. So she stood up. I didn't say anything. She did this. She pulled over another chair next to hers and sat me down. And so there we spoke for 20 minutes right on the altar in front of an empty church. Needless to say, it was a life-changing moment for me. She was so regal, so kind, so gracious. And I'm going on and on about my passion for nonviolence and Dr. King. And I invited her to a demonstration with some friends the next morning at the Pentagon. And she's looking at me really quizzically. And then there's a long pause, and she, this is what she said. Now let me get this straight, John. You like Martin. Oh, yes, yeah, I love Martin. You want to practice nonviolence. Oh, yes, I really want to practice. You want to work for peace and justice for the rest of your life. Yes, Coretta, yeah. And you're a Jesuit? That was so... Funny, we both burst out laughing. She affirmed all my interests in peace and justice and urged me to keep pursuing nonviolence. And later, during my tenure as director of the Fellowship of Reconciliation, she continued to support me. Over the years, I became very close friends with some of Dr. King's friends, especially Reverend Jim Lawson, Dorothy Cotton, and Vincent Harding, but also Glenn Smiley, Bernard Lafayette, and John Lewis. I made pilgrimages to all Dr. King's sites, first to Atlanta and his church and his grave, then to Montgomery and Selma and Birmingham, then to Mississippi and to Memphis. To this day, he remains my teacher and prophet. So thinking about this podcast, I'd like to share nine points about his nonviolence. So first, nonviolence is the key to Dr. King's life message. And it was urgent for him it was urgent then, and it's more urgent now than ever. Like him, we all have to start practicing, teaching, and promoting nonviolence. So I see Dr. King as an apostle, prophet, and teacher of Christian nonviolence. At the center of every speech against what he called the triple evils of racism, poverty, and militarism was his conviction, vision, and spirituality of nonviolence as the only solution to the world's problems. But I always go back to that hallmark moment, really his last public words, the night before he was killed, when he told the big crowd in Memphis, the choice before us is no longer violence or nonviolence. It's nonviolence or non-existence. I think that sums up Dr. King's message, and it sums up the predicament we're in today. 
50 years after Dr. King's challenge, we inch closer to non-existence. Instead of choosing non-violence at every level, we foolishly, stupidly, insanely choose violence. We cut back on care for the poor, the prisoner, the immigrant, the homeless, the child, the student, and the environment. Government and military leaders, corporate leaders, seem to choose non-existence in a race toward permanent warfare, permanent corporate greed, nuclear annihilation, and catastrophic climate change. It's as if we are drunk on violence and racism, greed, war, nuclear weapons, and environmental destruction. And like the attic, we blindly step toward global self-destruction. Like his childhood friend, all of us, I submit, have to learn Dr. King's wisdom of active nonviolence and rise to the occasion, as Dr. King did, as people of active nonviolence. So I think, in a nutshell, I see Dr. King's nonviolence meaning active universal love toward all human beings, all creatures, and all creation that refuses to kill or be silent in the face of killing. So it's a way of life, a spiritual path, and a political methodology toward peaceful conflict resolution and global justice. As I write in my book, The Nonviolent Life, it means trying to be nonviolent to ourselves, toward all those around us, toward all the creatures and Mother Earth, and doing our part to build up the global grassroots movements of nonviolence for a new culture of justice, equality, and peace. So the lesson, we are called to be people of total nonviolence, who do our part to help lead humanity back from the brink of destruction and non-existence and toward a new culture of nonviolence. Second, in particular, Dr. King spoke of nonviolence as agape. That's what I learned from Coretta, agape, the Greek gospel word for unconditional, non-retaliatory, all-inclusive, all-encompassing, sacrificial, disinterested, universal love for every human being on the planet, especially the poor, the oppressed, and the enemy. Quote, we are determined to use the weapon of love, Dr. King said. Choose love instead of hate, he kept saying. And one of the great stories, I think, in Martin's life happened just after the Montgomery bus boycott started when he started immediately getting like 15 death threats a day. She will recall on January 30th, 1956, his house was totally bombed and his wife and child just barely missed being killed. A crowd instantly formed. He arrived. He stood on the steps of the rubble of his house and the crowd started shouting, get your guns, let's go kill all the white people. And he launched into this heartfelt speech saying that he's okay, my wife and child are okay, go home and practice nonviolence and love. It's one of the great moments I submit in his life, but maybe world history. And here's a quote which kind of sums up his teaching. This is from Dr. King. We cannot solve this problem through retaliatory violence. We must love our white brothers no matter what they do to us. We must, we must make them know that we love them. Jesus still cries out in words that echo across the centuries. Love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. This is what we must live by. We must meet hate with love. The command to love one's enemy is an absolute necessity for our survival. Love for enemies is the key to the solution 
of the problem of our world. So Jesus is not an impractical idealist. He is the practical realist. Isn't that fantastic? So the lesson. The Holy Prophet calls us to practice total nonviolence, universal love, even love for our enemies, love for the people targeted by our nation. This is what it means to be a Christian. And that this is not just a challenge, but a necessity for our survival. Third, Dr. King was a person of prayer, even in his political campaigns, and we have to be too. My question was, when I was a kid and read that story, okay, how is Martin Luther King Jr. able to stand in the rubble of his house and his wife and child are barely survived this horrible bombing, and he's able to speak out for nonviolence and universal love, and everybody listens to him. This has always been my question. And then I really, really, really studied his life. And I don't know if you know this, but three nights before the bombing, on Friday night, January 27, 1956, Dr. King wrote in his first book, Stride Toward Freedom, the phone rang at midnight. He picked it up. It was the Ku Klux Klan, and they issued one of the scariest death threats he ever received in his life. He, he knew his house was going to be blown up. But he was really scared now and really shaken, and that was it. There was no way he was going to sleep. So he went to the back of the house, to the kitchen, and made a pot of coffee, and he sat on the kitchen, at the kitchen table and he put his head down and started praying out loud. And for the maybe, actually maybe, the one and only time in his life, poor Martin had a profound mystical experience. God spoke to him. Martin would tell this story for the rest of his life, including the night before he was killed in Memphis. Go and read it in Stride Toward Freedom. He put his head down on the table and said out loud, Dear God, I'm down here trying to do your will. I'm doing what I can. I'm speaking out. I'm taking a stand. Now I'm at the end of my rope. Nothing's happening. I don't know what to do. And like lightning, he hears a voice which says, Martin Luther, stand up for justice. Stand up for peace. Stand up for truth. I am with you and I will never leave you alone. I will never leave you alone. No, I will never leave you alone. Martin was never the same after that moment. He was electrocuted. That voice gave him strength, literally, I submit, until the day he died. And I actually really researched that story because I was always interested in Dr. King's and our, 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 our saints' experience of God. This is the only one he ever told in his whole life. And it's pretty good. It works for me. Now, when I was a kid and I was studying the mystics, I knew that the tradition has always taught that if God speaks to your leader, God is speaking to you through your leader. That's what I learned. So doing the math, I decided early on that... <laughs> What God said to Martin, God is saying to me too. And I invite all of us to, to, to do the same. I grant that that might be kindergarten level spirituality, but tradition teaches that. What God says to Martin, God says to those who carry on Martin's mission. Keep on taking a stand, 
I will never leave you alone. By the way, a few years ago, Martin's house in Montgomery was opened as a national museum. Well, I went there immediately. And I went to see the kitchen table, which is still there. And for me, it was a great moment. I entered that kitchen as holy ground and prayed that God would say the same to me, to all of us, that we might carry on Martin's campaign. I think God came through in just the moment Martin needed. And that's how he was able to give that speech when his house was bombed. And that's how he was able to carry on. And if we hear that message too, we can carry on. So the lesson. Just as God encouraged Dr. King to stand up for justice and peace no matter what and promised he would never leave him alone, so too God encourages each and every one of us to stand up for justice and peace no matter what. And God promises us that he will never leave us alone. Fourth, Dr. King explained everything in his speeches and writings. But during the 1963 Birmingham campaign, when thousands of kids were arrested, remember Dr. King was jailed for a week or 10 days, and he wrote this stunning, powerful document, a letter from a Birmingham jail, which I think is one of the greatest documents in U.S. history. So I want to urge you to go back and read it. For me, it's like a letter from St. Paul. Here are some key quotes, which I invite you to reflect on. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That's a powerful teaching. He goes on. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects everyone indirectly. Hmm. Nonviolent direct action seeks to create a crisis. Wow, ponder that and establish such creative tension that a community which has constantly refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. It seeks to dramatize the issue so that it can no longer be ignored. The creation of tension is part of the work of the nonviolent resistor. That kind of goes against everything we'd think. You'd, point, you'd think the whole point is to be, everybody be peaceful, Martin. And he's saying, there's no peace in Birmingham. I'm coming in and ending this false peace to show you the division to create true and lasting peace. I continue with his quotes. I have earnestly worked and preached against violent tension, but there is a type of constructive nonviolent tension that is necessary for growth. The purpose of direct action is to create a situation so crisis-packed that it will inevitably open the door to negotiation. We who engage in nonviolent direct action are not the creators of tension. We merely bring to the surface the hidden tension that is already alive. We bring it out in the open where it can be seen and dealt with. And this has always blown me away. Here he says, <laughs> Like a boil that can never be cured as long as it is covered up, but must be opened with all its pus-flowing ugliness to the natural medicines of air and light. Injustice must likewise be exposed with all of the tension it's exposing creates to the light of human conscience and the air of national opinion before it can be cured. Wow, he wrote that in jail. Dr. King says, creative nonviolence lances the boil of racism, segregation, and justice. 
This is going to be messy. But it then leads to true healing that lasts. He knows that the infection of systemic violence runs deep among us and that the work of healing is going to be initially messy and it's going to have to continue for generations, but it will be lasting. And then this quote, we need nonviolent gadflies to create the kind of tension in society that will help men and women to rise from the dark depths of prejudice and racism and I would add to systemic injustice and violence, to the majestic heights of understanding and brother and sisterhood. So the lesson, Dr. King invites us to be nonviolent gadflies who create tension publicly to help force new understanding and societal transformation toward disarmament, justice, and peace. As nonviolent gadflies, we agitate publicly for the abolition of war and poverty and racism and nuclear weapons, environmental destruction, and through our creative nonviolence, lance the boil of violence for the sake of societal healing. Wow. Fifth, Dr. King's nonviolence was visionary. We were talking the other day at the Pache Bene Campaign Nonviolence Staff and Board Retreat in Phoenix how Dr. King at the famous march did not stand in front of the Lincoln Memorial and say, I have a plan. He says, I have a dream. And that is very important, very important. He lifted up a vision. And in doing so, he gives us hope, helps us to see where we're going, and points us on a path to get there because we're all blind, especially in this age of Trump blindest of the blind, when we have been robbed of our imaginations. Like Dr. King, we have to give each other vision and lift up a vision. Dr. King's vision was really big, a whole new world of brotherhood and sisterhood, the end of racism and segregation everywhere. We have to build on that and expand that vision and uphold the vision of a whole new world without racism, sexism, poverty, hunger, gun shootings, war, corporate greed, nuclear weapons, or environmental destruction, to lift, lift up a vision of an entirely new culture of peace and nonviolence. This is what, by the way, we are currently asking Pope Francis to do. Dr. King's vision called for the building of what he called the beloved community. He says, everyone is e equal. Every human being is a son or daughter of the God of love and peace, which means everyone is our brother and sister. And so we have to reject and resist racism and sexism and anything that dehumanizes or humiliates another human being. So Dr. King taught that act of nonviolence begins with that vision. I call it the vision of a heart, of the beloved community, of a reconciled humanity, of the reign of God, the truth that all life is sacred, that we're already one, that we're already reconciled, already united, and once you begin to see with the eyes of the heart, you can never hurt anybody again, much less demean another person, much less be silent while our country wages war, builds nuclear weapons, executes peoples, allows millions to starve, or destroys the planet. So it's act of love and truth for justice and peace, and constantly including everyone everywhere as your very beloved sister, your very beloved brother. 
regardless of race, age, gender, nationality, religion, sexual orientation, ability, class, or any other distinction. Dr. King's vision is a bold vision of universal nonviolence, and he began to connect the dots between the issues and every angle of violence and injustice and worked tire tirelessly to end all violence in all its forms. He was killed for creating a movement to make that vision come true because it would mean the end of the status quo. His wisdom and his vision and the movement behind it, I suggest, are our only hope because he was just expanding on what Jesus taught. It's not just a warning, but it's a way out, a way forward, a way through toward a new culture of nonviolence. So the lesson, that's what we have to do. Become visionaries of nonviolence. Proclaim a bold new vision of an entirely new world of nonviolence. Six, in Selma and elsewhere, Dr. King called everyone to join the civil rights movement to get with the program, start organizing, take to the streets, engage in nonviolent civil resistance and civil disobedience, and force a societal transformation through the power of active nonviolence. Today, we all have to get with the movement as never before. I actually think we have to go beyond Dr. King and build a global grassroots people power bottom-up movement of nonviolence the likes of which the world has never seen that connects all the dots on every issue of violence from racism and, racism and poverty and hunger to war and nuclear weapons and environmental destruction. But what's so interesting to me, and this may not be that important for you, but was that Dr. King said, this is the purpose of the church, that the church of the nonviolent Jesus is a grassroots movement of nonviolence. Now, the, reason, the only reason I know he said that is because my friend Daniel Bergen was there at Selma and heard him say it. It was about 20 years ago, late at night, and I asked Dan, what do you remember of Martin Luther King and Selma? And he said, all I remember was I was sitting in the back of the church, and there was Dr. King, and he's speaking away, and then suddenly he looks up into, you know, into the air, and he goes, here's my definition of the church. And Dan is going, uh-huh, yeah. And Dr. King says, the church is the place you go from. What? Dan had never heard anybody say that. I don't think anyone had ever said that before. No, Martin, the church is the place you go to. That's the point. That's why we pay our priests and ministers. No. Dan thought this was shocking and brilliant. The church is not the place you go to. The church is the place you go from. From the church, you march out the doors in a campaign of nonviolence to Selma or Washington, D.C. Isn't that brilliant? That's good theology and ecclesiology. The lesson, we are grassroots movement people, especially as church people. We go from our community into the world in a grassroots, bottom-up, people-power movement of nonviolence, which means organizing, speaking out, taking a stand, marching in the streets, resisting violence and injustice at every front, and proclaiming a new world of justice and peace. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is just the ordinary now for the rest of our lives, the ordinary, an ordinary part of our lives. Seven, Dr. King said nonviolence requires resistance to all violent, unjust structures and systems 
that it seeks to defeat injustice, not people, to defeat evil, not people, that yes, it's a way of life and a spiritual path and a universal ethic, but it's also a methodology of social change and that it requires organizing and movement people, and it always works when it's tried. Okay, Martin, I'm with you so far. But then he said, in every single speech he ever gave, it also requires suffering love, and that's the key. Nobody talks about that today, except for Dr. King. He was a personalist like Dorothy Day. He said, we do not harm others. We treat every human being with respect and dignity and nonviolence, and we try to liberate the oppressed, but also the oppressors. But the bottom fundamental line is we give our lives in this mission. This is the spiritual life. Remember, Martin was arrested 19 times in acts of civil disobedience that he was under constant death threat his whole life. We'll never know what that's like to live getting, what, 15 death threats a day for 15 years, that his home was bobbed, bombed, that he was once stabbed, that he was beaten up, that he was struck with a brick, and that he, in fact, he was eventually killed. And yet he never retaliated or sought revenge. In fact, he didn't even have a trace of retaliation in him. Yet every single day, in every speech he gave, I've researched this, he said, are you ready? Nonviolence means entering the Paschal mystery of Jesus, which means taking up the cross as nonviolent resistance to state violence, or as Martin put it, quote, unearned nonviolent suffering love is redemptive. So he's saying, if you are working nonviolently for justice and peace, okay, then you must train yourself. We have to train each other that in the struggle, we are willing to accept suffering without retaliating, without even the desire to retaliate, so that we can break the downward spiral of violence by continuing to go forward and insisting on the truth of our common humanity with our opponents and loving our opponents, our opponents but not responding with further violence. Because violence in response to violence only leads to further violence. When you do not respond to violence with further violence, the violence ends. It just kind of evaporates. That's how the process begins to work. Your suffering love becomes tr transformative and then contagious and can reach the hearts of your opponents until they convert and seize the errors of their way and they're transformed. Suffering love, in other words, has the power to convert the enemy in a way that reason cannot, Dr. King taught. So here's his famous quote. We will match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, we will still love you. Yet still we cannot in conscience obey your unjust laws, unquote. So the lesson. Nonviolent social change requires our, will, our willingness to accept suffering and love, to enter the Paschal mystery of Jesus, as Dr. King did, to be willing to give our lives for suffering humanity, for Mother Earth, for justice and peace, in love, for the greater good, trusting that our lives will be redemptive and bear good fruit for God uh, to welcome God's gift of peace on Earth. Eight. 
Nonviolence means having nothing to do with state-sanctioned violence, that is, with war. It opposes all wars and all weapons of mass destruction. That's what Dr. King's childhood friends learned the hard way. So Dr. King says you have to stand up and speak out whatever issue you're working on, but always against war and nuclear weapons. And he did that early on, speaking against nuclear weapons, but then the Vietnam War. Remember, he said, it's worthless for me to talk about integrating if there's no world to integrate. So on April 4th, 1968, Dr. King gave his historic speech at the, against the Vietnam War at Riverside Church in New York and shocked the movement and the nation. It was the clearest statement against the war ever made and he would be killed one year later for that stand. He said in a speech, a nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death. We can no longer afford to worship the God of hate or bow before the altar of retaliation. The oceans of history are made turbulent by the ever-rising tides of hate. History is cluttered with the wreckage of nations and individuals that pursued the self-defeating path of hate. We are confronted today with the fierce urgency of now. And this was his conclusion. We still have a choice today. Nonviolent coexistence or violent co-annihilation. And so he said, let us rededicate ourselves to the long and bitter but beautiful struggle for a new world. This is our calling the calling of the sons and daughters of God is so beautiful. The lesson, we have to keep speaking out against war and nuclear weapons, no matter what we're doing, as we connect the dots with all the other issues, especially racism, poverty, and climate change, which means we have to keep calling for an end to the war in Afghanistan, the longest war in U.S. history, as well as our wars and bombing raids on places like Yemen, Iraq, Lib Liberia, uh, Libya, Syria, Palestine. I suspect we're bombing other places in Africa too, and our threats on Iran and the Korean Peninsula and elsewhere, and always keep calling for the abolition of nuclear weapons. Nine, nonviolence means choosing hope, which means we're not going to give up. In 1969, no, in 1967 and 1968, Dr. King planned the Poor People's Campaign and spoke against the U.S. war in Vietnam. He was up in the ante. He's a genius at vision and organizing at the same time. He wanted to bring hundreds of thousands of poor, disenfranchised, low-income people to Washington, D.C., and shut down the U.S. Capitol until we had legal economic justice. And here's his quote. And then after we get that, we'll call the peace movement in, quote, to try to close down the Pentagon. I don't know what Jesus had as his demands other than repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. My demand is repent, America, because this is a sick, neurotic nation, but this campaign is based upon hope. And then he said in Memphis, I refuse to give in to the politics of despair. Here's my definition of hope. Hope is the final refusal to give up. I think, I still think that's shocking. I only learned that a few years ago, actually from Jim Lawson himself. He was telling me this. He said he heard Martin say it 
in Memphis. And Dr. King had never spoken about hope before. And we can all have a million definitions of hope. And the New Testament has some definitions of hope. But this really works. And this is very weird and unusual. I'll say it again. Hope is the final refusal to give up. We're not giving up. I think that's the spiritual challenge before us, not to give up, to refuse to give up, to keep going, to keep on marching and speaking out and organizing and agitating for justice and disarmament, to keep on practicing and teaching and promoting nonviolence, and to keep on staying with the grassroots campaign of disarmament and for justice and Mother Earth, whether we see any victories or not, whether we live to see any victories or not, you know, we're trusting that the outcome is in better hands than ours. It's in God's hands. And I think if you look at Martin's life, in the end, his refusal to give up made all the difference, actually. Like if you looked at his life from God's perspective. He kept pursuing and building these uphill campaigns against the vice of everyone around him. And he gave his life for that big vision of a nonviolent world as a disciple of the nonviolent Jesus. And he was going forward even in his final minutes. I don't know if you know the story that just before he was shot, he turned to Bernard Lafayette, who's also told me this himself, you know, in the hotel there in Memphis. He said, Bernard, make a note. Once we finish this, we got to figure out how we're going to institutionalize and internationalize nonviolence. Wow. And he was dead that, a few hours later. He was constantly dreaming of ways to oppose our nation's injustices. But with those last words, he was trying to take on, he was going to take on the whole world then. We need to be as bold and take up that same con consistent, courageous work and figure out for ourselves and together as communities of peace how we're going to keep going no matter what. As a side note, little commercial, one way to do that would be to get our great new workbook, uh, Campaign Nonviolence Pace Bene. We just published this fantastic book called Engaging Nonviolence, which is meant for small groups. And you can use it in your group to deepen your nonviolence. It's brand new, it's cutting edge, and I think it will be very helpful. You can order it at campaignnonviolence.org. So in conclusion, let me just encourage you to study the life lessons of Dr. King. Like Dr. King, we're called to do our bit, not to give up, but to keep practicing nonviolence, to keep speaking out and organizing and upholding that big vision of a new world of peace and nonviolence, and to go forward in a good spirit of peace, love, and nonviolence, to redouble our participation in the grassroots movements, to get with all the other great national projects like campaignnonviolence.org, and to go forward in hope with a bold new vision in the practice of total nonviolence. I think this is the greatest thing we can do with our lives for humanity, for creation, for Jesus, for God, for Martin. So I encourage you to keep at it. And I thank you for carrying on. And like Dr. King, we will be greatly blessed. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And peace be with you. <music>